Hi, I'm Jack Brody, and I'm with Dave Smith and our show, Secrets to Success. We're happy to see you again. And today we're talking about serves and volleys. Not necessarily serve and volley, but serves and volleys, how to warm them up, and what to think about when you're um, working on these two uh, very, very important strokes. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hi, Jack. Great uh, to be with you and hopefully a lot of folks uh, paying attention to what we do and talk about and hopefully share some insights to improving player dynamics, improving the progressions to getting a player to really excel and what I call reaching their potential, their true potential. I think you can probably relate to this because you've trained uh, equal, if not more uh, high performance players from raw beginner to that high level of echelon. And so in talking about, I'm going to jump right into this and I want you to kind of uh, piggyback on this, but we train, the first stroke we train is a volley because the dynamic continental grip is so important to the serve, the volley, the slice backhand, the two-handed backhand, um, the, the uh, half volley, all those strokes with the exception of the two-hand, of the topspin forehand, use a continental grip among the highest level players. So we train the, the, the volley first and then go right into the serve. And I'm not talking weeks later, we're just talking really within the same lesson. And so one of the things that this we're going to be talking about today is, well, why do we do that? First and foremost, if the continental grip is the desired stroke, avoiding it will never produce a player who gets comfortable with it. And if you can't get a player, you don't give them the tools, you don't give them the exercises or the drills or the skills to master the continental grip, sure, it will be remain unfamiliar. And coaches that are training players to avoid the unfamiliar or the uncomfortable just because it is uncomfortable have to realize that at some point they're going to have to, if they want that player to have a good serve, if they want that player to have a good volley or a well-rounded game where they can come up to the net, you and I both know, Jack, we can look at a player's second serve and we can look at their backhand volley or their forehand volley and pretty much define what level that player is ever going to get to because of the limitations that they're using, say, a frying pan or an eastern forehand, eastern backhand grip on the volley. So I'd like you to jump on that, too, and, and express your experiences with both the continental grip as it applies to the, the volley and the yeah. player as a whole. Well, I think... Obvious, I think it's obvious to most of us insider pros that the volley has been obviously misunderstood because when it comes to tennis, I mean, if I say, give me a great backhand, you could go back to Borg, Chrissy Everett. I mean, everyone's got a great backhand. Give me a great forehand. You could name 20 people, 30, 40, 50 people with a great forehand and serve. When it comes to volleys, people go right to Federer, then they shoot way back to Sampras and Edberg because really not many players are known for their volleys because, um, and, and once again, I just think they're woefully misunderstood and, and, and poorly taught. You know, the whole idea of breaking your wrist and, and punching with the elbow and stepping forward. I mean, pushing I mean, versus yeah, I mean, you step forward when you have to, but if you watch a great volleyer like a Federer, Half the time he steps back with his back foot lining him up. And, and so, so the whole, like I said, it, it's just woefully misunderstood and, and poorly taught. But I agree with you on the continental grip. I do. Um, I, uh, I start my kids so young, four and five years old, that we don't start with volleys. But 
but because I think it would just be, um, I, I like a little bit of immediate gratification. So, you know, at least with the groundies with a four and five-year-old, right, having a, and I don't really use the little frying pan rackets. I like having that leverage. So they go, oh, look at me. I just hit the ball over the net. Yeah. Uh, and the volleys are a little tough for four and five and six-year-olds. And that's when I started with so many kids. But I do agree with you, especially when you've got high school kids. Man, if they don't know their continental grip, especially doubles, my God, they can't even play the game, right? I mean, you can't have a good serve. You'll have no second serve. We all we know that. No second serve. And, and the volleys, uh, they'll use two hands on the backhand volley, which I will not let a kid. You know, I don't even let my five-year-olds volley with two hands. There's no need. Not even my five-year-olds. Um, <laughs> I won't let them volley with two hands because it's a bad habit, uh, especially the two-handers, right? Because they're so used to it. They're always digging underneath like that. And, and so, uh, or turning it over or turning yeah. it over. And then the flat forehand volley, you can't really aim it. There's no angle you can get. You can only push it forward. So I agree hundred percent. I think the continental grip and you're right. Too many pros avoid it. In fact, I've even helped, heard pros tell players, go ahead and put that other hand on there. So you're stronger. And I'm like stronger, uh, you know, and, and, and they try and teach the backhand with two handed volleys and they say, well, you're a beginner. We'll fix it later. But of course, later never comes. No, it doesn't. And and once you've established this this uh, frying pan or pushing grip, it becomes so comfortable that anything it becomes exponentially more uncomfortable. And we train the volley first for a couple of reasons. You, you mentioned immediate gratification. The way we train our toss and block drill, and we we toss a bean bag first, and we get a kid to catching the bean bags. That yeah, I, I do that one too. I like that one too. And so we actually have more success immediately because kids are hitting the ball square with a volley and they learn um, that strength isn't needed. It, it, I demonstrate as I'm sure you do with the two fingered where I hold the grip with two fingers and volley. I'll have my, my assistant drill me. I mean, hit as hard as he can at my back end of my forearm volley and I'll just reflect it back with literally holding the bracket in my thumb and index finger. And so, you know, these pros that think I got to hold it stiff, I go hold it strong. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of, of firmness that you want in your volley, but it's not required. And so when players start to discover through volleys first, and the problem I have with, of course, the opposite of if I taught ground strokes first, they learn to take a full swing, of course. And so then when we move to the volley, I have to diminish the swing, which is hard to do for some kids. Some that you can do it immediately and they understand it. So we start with the volley first and then go to the full stroke. Both are correct. Don't well, get me I have wrong. no problem with doing that. I know a lot of good coaches that, that do the volley first and they even warm up with quick volleys or bump up yep, and across. That's, that's what we do. Quick yeah. volleys. Um, yeah, I have no problem with that. I guess it's, it's what it is. Like I said, my kids, I always like, all of them, Sam's, all the kids, they were all under 10. They were so little. And, you know, at least when you teach them the inside out forehand, they go home going, mommy, I got a weapon, you know, yeah, but, but, yeah, they'll recognize I don't have a problem with, with, with teaching the volleys first. Uh, who knows what we'll get into when we talk about technique. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, but uh, let's, um, yeah. So I think we both agree that the continental grip, has to be controlled and has to be learned right away or else it's part of it's part of the whole package you you shouldn't avoid one over the other it's sure. more than part it's everything other than the forehand 
That's I, well, absolutely. And, and I'll go one step further, having since I work with 50 to 70 kids a, at a time, sometimes I've got to think outside the box. And so you see this picture of my kids working volleys. These are a lot of my beginners. Is that uh, what they're doing? They're hitting volleys on the grass yeah, there? They're doing toss and block drills. One, one's tossing to the backhand volley, the other one's volleying. And, uh -huh. and here's, here's a side note to a toss and block drill. So when you're volleying and the other player's tossing and catching, that player who's tossing and catching is learning the skill they are. Sure. of catching or tracking to their hand. And I teach them to toss underhand and then hold their hand up as a target so this player is volleying and out of their peripheral vision, they're trying to block that ball to a hand, but this person is catching and receiving a ball. So even though it's a tossing drill, one person is actually working on the volley from a hitting standpoint or a blocking standpoint, the player tossing is gaining skill without even knowing it. And you know, so I agree, it, I agree with you. And I like the word you use there. I wish I used that word more often. I will start receiving. Receiving because ball. When it comes to, when it comes to the volley, you know, the whole concept of a blunt punch is really not where it's at. Where it's at is it's more of a feeling of a receiving and, and then and then letting the ball sink into the strings and letting the ball right push air into the ball. And, and the, the synergy of those two things is really what makes the ball pop in a nice volley, not not fighting fire with fire and, and you know, a ball oncoming and you go after it. You know, it's in golf. I, I'm not a golfer, but I know what they call it in golf. It's called a fat hit, right? When it's not a, a sweet hit, it's a fat hit. You've done everything right, but somehow you've met the ball in, in a more conflictive way. And so it feels fat, right? It sends shock up your arms. So, yes, it's more of a feel and letting, like I said, letting that ball be absorbed by the racket strings, but by your whole core, by your body, instead of instead of putting it all on the elbow or the wrist or the shoulder. So I like that word receiving a lot. I'm glad. Uh, I, I use a couple of phrases that I think really resonate. And I don't know if you've heard these, but I always, I tell my players, imagine your racket as a mirror, the, the hitting surface and the ball be coming to you as a beam of light from a flashlight or a laser or whatever, I, whatever you want to visualize. And I always tell my players, would you swing your racket to interact with that reflecting angle that you want to achieve. Meaning, do I, if I wanted to angle that beam of light to my right, would I swing at it? Of course they say, no, I would put my mirror behind the beam of light and angle the mirror and let the beam of light reflect. And once they start to discover that concept of reflecting versus hitting or receiving, as you just mentioned, they start to realize that the swing is not a critical factor until you want to really give the ball much more impetus to hit it somewhere more effectively. But the first thing we teach is the angle volley. A lot, a lot of pros are like, that's an advanced shot. <laughs> no, it's not. From a ready position to a backhand or a forehand angle volley, it's about a two-inch, it's a, it's a three-inch turn. Right. And, and, if, and, the, and the kids start to realize that they get out of this one-dimensional hit the ball straight ahead, hit the ball straight ahead. And they start to understand the concept of opening a court up. Even five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, my daughter, when she was eight, we, we trained her on the angle volley. She has an amazing angle volley because she knew it. And she learned to angle with reflecting 
skill rather than hitting. The other problem with the eastern grip, uh, eastern forehand, eastern backhand grip of the volley is it sets the racket more square to the net, and I have to now swing to get the angle, and I will overhit any sharp angle I try to hit. So I always see players all the, all the time with the eastern forehand, eastern backhand grip decelerating because for them, usually, as you well know, if you have an eastern backhand grip and you turn your body sideways, your racket's too far back. And now I have to turn my whole body and swing. And now I've got a racket moving much faster than I can control. And I now have to decelerate. And now I'm just pushing the ball pretty much square dead ahead. And I never can get an angle volley. When I did hundreds and hundreds of clinics with adults who were taught Eastern grip, hit the ball out in front of them and hit the ball straight, uh, they couldn't hit an angle volley to save their life because no. of those factors. They can't even hit a cross court volley to save. Their no, life. they really can't. Well, that's yes. you remember. Well, you remember Andy Roddick. I mean, guy was you know uh, he was number one in the world for a month. Yeah. But, but then, but then uh, Gilbert. Uh, you know, I know these guys, nice guys, great guys. But I mean, he told Andy to start going to net, and and I, I was like, wow, you're sending him up there with a, a BB gun. I mean, because he had that step and push. And so he would just hit to Nadal or Federer. And they would just, he was like target practice because he couldn't, he couldn't, couldn't hit the ball. Away. Yeah. yeah, he could only hit an area of about six feet, right? He couldn't really hit a sharp, uh, deadly uh, volley, you know, near the line because he couldn't aim because he was stepping forward and punching forward. Right. So Federer would just sit back, wait for that first volley. And then, of course, he was at the 45, so with the slightest, so if he saw Andy drift to the, to the forehand or backhand side, he would just, right at the 45, he'd just, just the slightest adjustment, and he'd go cross court, or he'd go yeah. down the line. And poor Andy, I mean, he would just look to the crowd like, well, I mean, what do I do up here? So that was a big mistake. You don't send someone to net if they can't volley. Well, he could volley halfway decent, but the, the problem was he never put, uh, he never, he put less pressure after his approach shot his volley had less um caused less stress to his opponent his approach shots he hit cross court a lot which i i did not like how often he hit it oh no that's that's ridiculous because you and, open up the court right you've got the hole down the line bigger than right. you just Plus can't cover cross court and then he would volley the ball and like you said he just couldn't put it away and no, so never. then he was even more vulnerable after the approach shot after his second and his first volley so yeah, I agree. I mean, he he took on a strategy that just didn't make sense even. But he to went me. in what three month period? He went from number one to twenty five. Yeah, no, three he, months. He, yep. I mean, that was a really uh, big big mistake. Um, you know, let's talk more about the volleys because I know you like the idea of a straight arm, and I'm gonna you know do my best to talk you out of that slightly, slightly because when I say slightly, uh, I really what I do. It's funny. You know, I had a problem as a junior. I, I had pretty good touch. I, I brought up on clay in Connecticut, and um, and I was a better doubles player. A lot of pros say this. I was a better doubles player than I was singles. I don't know about you, but I definitely um, – I even liked doubles more back in the day. Uh, today, I prefer to play singles. I prefer to watch singles. But I hit that angle volley way too much, and I noticed a lot of my students do – and we can't even get a good rally going, you know, when they're up at net and I was in the baseline and, and, you know, because they would volley short or they hit that angle volley a lot. I'm like, come on, 
hit the volley to me. And, and, and what I started noticing was, and it was through my system, but it was also by accident. I remembered in college and then in a couple of little pro tournaments I played afterwards, when I would serve and come into net and they'd rocket it right at my belly and I would go like this and I'd hit the angle volley inside out, uh, mm -hmm. cross court backhand, but inside out backhand volley. I noticed, and I was just protecting myself. Sure. I, I thought to myself, Jesus, why did that one pop off my strings? And then I noticed Sampras, he had, that was his best volley, right? He'd serve and volley against Agassi. Agassi would rip it right at him. And he'd do that little thing where he'd, he'd, he'd sort of bunt the ball inside out, but it would float beautifully on the baseline, inside out on the line. And, and I said, there's something to this. And then after I developed the system, well, his arm's straight there, but I don't think Agassi was known for his volleys. Um, but I, I started to put two and two together and I thought, you know, having a slight, and I don't want to use the word bend, but having, having your arm slightly like this, as opposed to straight, but having just a little bit of athleticism and a little bit of this, I call it a bird wing. And I've noticed, and this is what I coach, I'll show you real quickly here. Um, I found it incredibly interesting and, and all the pros that I, uh, that are certified and I work with and I hear from every week, they go, you know, Jack, that inside out volley, that's totally fixed all my students, but he, they tell me it's fixed their own volleys. And, um, and it's, it's very interesting, I think, this one right here. Uh, and and I, like I said, I'm just hoping to try and just change, just slightly change your attitude on the volley. But, but watch these guys here. Okay. Um, you see how I have those yellow lines? Yeah. So this girl had a worse volley in the world. She didn't even have a continental grip, but I finally got her to use a continental. But by going inside out, the ball would absorb in the strings a little bit and it would pop deeper. Plus having a slight curve. See, I don't want to use the word bent. Having a curve in your arm makes your arm stronger. It's like taking a piece of paper and sort of rounding it. And then you try to push on it. You can't push, but if it's straight, you can just push it really easily. So, you know, same reason they make cathedrals in Italy and Spain with arches, because there's something to this idea of roundness uh, that, like I said, it's not bent, definitely not bent, but it's slightly round. But I noticed that Edberg, I started going back to look at old Edberg volleys and Sampras, and they do that a lot. Uh, I guess when they go cross court, it's a little straighter, but certainly when they're going inside out down the line, they have this nice curve in their arm. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but, but you might be something you experiment with because that angle volley, like I said, what happened to me was all I could hit was the angle volley. And that was a problem because everyone knew when I, when they came to net, if they hit to my forehand, just rush cross court, somewhat short or backhand, same thing. I couldn't hit a nice deep volley. And that's what I find with players today, even on the pro circuit, they all have the touch, but not many still have a nice deep volley where they want it. See hers is slightly bent. Slightly, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the first, that picture right there of Justine. See, yep. it's slightly, slightly bent. And I think that adds power and athleticism, personally. What do you think about that, Dave? <laughs> um, I, I come from a little different background. Um, 
I, I agree and disagree. Uh, the curve, the curvature you're talking about is about uh, stability items that don't bend. The arm does bend. And when you, when a player brings any kind of a curvature there, there's a tendency to want to straighten it at contact. Well, that instead I don't of using, that. Instead that of I using the arm. That's, I'm, I'm going to just be blunt and honest. I've worked with 3,500 players and the majority who are taught to keep that arm straight, lock that arm, have no problem because if you, you can argue the strength, but I'm going to argue the leverage. I teach science. The longer the lever, the more force can be applied by that lever. And if a player has any movement, any mo mobility in that elbow, they're going to use it. And then if they're going to hit from the elbow, their leverage is only from the elbow to the end of the racket rather than the shoulder moving. So I'm going to argue from the standpoint of leverage, the straight arm provides but tremendous isn't that where, leverage. Isn't that where the left hand comes into play? Let's say you're a righty, of course. Uh, the left hand, it places the racket out there. And that, see, my arm would look straight to many people, but it's not. Uh, but I think it's the left hand. And that's another thing. I think the, the opposite hand in volleys is so neglected when it's so important, right? Instead of pulling your arm with that left yep, hand, yep. you push it out there. You actually push it out and you create this beautiful form. And then I don't think from there you'll want to straighten it, right? Once you create that, that form, now you just sort of move your inner body and you keep that nice roundness. Um, I don't think we're that far off because you're talking so about either. maintaining, uh, you know, P um, Patrick Rafter had that nice roundness you're talking about. Yeah, he did. And it and he, it, it and wouldn't move. Just, that it was one of his, change. you know, he didn't have a lot of greatness, but I thought his serve was great, but I thought his volleys. Oh, he was one of the best serve volleyers. You know, him and Edberg were definitely, but here's the problem. I mean, this is the problem when we teach to individuals rather than if you actually look at the majority of players from the Bryant brothers to any of the top players as a majority, you will see this, like this volley behind me of, of Justine with that arm straight as her arm finishes the stroke. And so I'm not disagreeing that a curved arm can't be used tremendously effectively. Absolutely correct. The problem is when you when a beginner intermediate player has a bent arm, curved arm, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, there's some leverage still left in that arm. They're going to use it. And if you train it as you're doing, although I, I would I don't like laying the racket too far back. Um, I'd rather have them turn their shoulders to create the angles desired rather than laying the racket back because then the chicken wing, I call it a chicken wing. When a player starts bending that elbow, they start embellishing that even more. So when it I see a player- some, It might be semantics because I don't like the bent elbow either. No, I know. And I, yeah. so I agree. I you're you're not saying that. Semantics. It, it might yeah. be semantics we're talking I, I, about. I think player coaches, let me put it, simplify it because we, we are on the same page. Coaches, if you have a player who's volleying very well with a slightly bent or, or that curved arm, and they're not using that elbow to hit, right? you're on the money. If you've got a player that's trying to straighten that elbow, I suggest getting that elbow straight from the get-go and learn the feel of that leverage. And the leverage is increased because the physics of, the, of a lever increases when you're using that whole arm and not getting any elbow involvement. Also, when a, a player has a bent elbow, that's another joint that they're trying to maneuver. Oh, yeah. And so if, as long as they're keeping that elbow in a fixed 
you know, as you mentioned, yeah. they're fine. I'm just telling you from I my agree. perspective. When that elbow is bent, it's just a weakness. It's a chink in the armor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whoops. I just lost my video. I lost um, yeah. I mean, that's, and so my, my effort is to train players. Um, I don't know if I have this video up here. Um, I've got to pull this video off of my daughter when she was eight years old. Um, go, explain a little you bit know, more. You know what I'm thinking while we're talking here, I'm thinking maybe a great way to train volleys is just what we're doing, but we do both. We make sure they can hit, we hit the first one, they go yep. deep down the line. We hit the second one, they hit the angle volley, deep down the line. Because I really, like I said, I just find that too many kids resort to the angle, short angle volley because, because they're afraid. I just know from my own personal experience, I was afraid to hit the deep volley uh, because of the way I was taught. I was taught to punch. And so my deep volleys always felt weak, but my angle volleys, I always had confidence in them because that was just a matter of feel. So I think it's good to do both. Yeah, and like I said, I train, I, I like to train the angle first just to get kids away from hitting. We're so used to feeding in the middle of the court to True. a kid hitting straight ahead. Straight ahead. We also train from the far angle uh, to so kids can learn to interact with a incoming vector yeah. That's a little different as well. So look at Justine behind you, though. She's look at that left hand. You see how she's. I oh, yeah. I'm sure we were going to discuss this next. But right. You set your racket out there, whether it's straight or whether it's got that roundness. And then you, you want to keep that lineup. So that left hand, that opposite hand is so important. Look how it goes behind her left ear. Well, we train that up. separation of the arms on every, of course, slice backhand, slice right. backhand volley. That left arm cannot come around with the stroke. It will oh. pollute it. It will deteriorate the stroke tremendously. Yep. And so we actually train that, try to get that left hand to stay back. Uh, let me see if I've got... Um, it's funny you're showing cross courts and I'm showing <laughs> reverse cross courts on our videos. Yeah, I mean we we train it all. I mean our players. I uh, uh, by the way, I produce a state champion every single year in doubles, every single year, and I think part of that is because of the fact that our players can hit that angle volley rather than just block it. To I, the I agree. When you're talking doubles, the angle volley is yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. But, but I actually have my kids volley outside the court. If you just saw a minute ago, these kids were all volleying into the alley or even beyond the alley. Yeah, we, we I, trained I, I wanted them. Yeah, I want them to feel the pop and say and realize, oh, I don't feel weak on the one hander. Look how the ball like this girl. I'm telling you, she was the worst. She just pops the ball deep here. And she couldn't believe she goes, wow, it doesn't feel weak anymore. I can really make the ball go a distance. Right. And, um, and so it's, it's, I think it's very interesting to show both sides. You're looking well, that high, you know, that high backhand volley, um, so many players feel a sense of weakness. So they flip the racket over. Right. And I, I uh, we train the arm to be rigid and firm and driving with cleanliness, if you will, um, to, feel that and then they go wow i don't have to flip it over i don't have to swing hard to uh hit the ball firm and that's one of the big things for us is to train that um high back and volley just like a low one and when players start to understand that oh my gosh they start 
Well, um, yeah, I agree. The high backhand volley, I would have to say, might be the toughest shot in tennis. Either that or the high forehand volley, one of the two. But well, it's yeah, because I mean, everyone tries to bring their head, right? They try and finish like this. Right. Or on the backhand, they try and do this and come around the ball instead of just having a stable instead of being stable and letting the once again letting the ball sink into the strings uh they try to finagle they try and maneuver the head of the racket and 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 then that's just catastrophe waiting to happen see look at this girl she's got a nice she's laying her head back even though you can't see the racket she's laying the head back nicely and look at her left hand see how her left hand's keeping her lined up to the 40 well I, you know, I, I know you agree with me, but uh, oh, yeah. keeping her lined up, see that left hand's keeping her lined up. So the shoulders, the hips, everything's lined up nicely to the 45. And yeah, you know, it's funny. You can see her arm is straight, but when you look at it from the shoulder to the tip of the racket head, you can see the curve. But if you look at just her arm itself, it looks straight. Now here on this picture, you can see it's slightly rounded. It's beautiful. This is the one you have behind you. See, yep. to me, you might call that straight. I'd call that slightly, slightly rounded. And well, I, I think, that, I think that, that's a beautiful shot right there. I think if, that's if, if that's what you call rounded, then we're on the same exact page because she cannot extend this arm any further. I mean, the arm can't straighten out from this position at all. I mean, it's... Well, it's, if it did, the racket head would start to come forward. You see? Well, we, we drain the shoulder joint is the mobility joint. So the arm moves this way, not from the elbow, not from the wrist, not because once if the racket head leaves, the racket head turns over. If the arm leaves, the racket stays on your keeping what I call my bucks, keeping the plane the same. Right. And that's the key to any good stroke, especially the volley. We call it set and hold. But the keeping the plane the same ensures that I can hit the ball here, 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 here or here. And it'll still go exactly where I want to go. I agree. And look at her right hand. Look at her right hand starting to move back. You see, yep. it's starting. It's that's that's a that's a really great thing. I mean, you got these girls hitting good volleys, good high volleys, and no wonder you win so many championships because I mean, doubles. Let's face it, in high school and now college, doubles is huge importance. All of a sudden, it right. wasn't back in the seventies and eighties, right? You played six singles, three doubles, and the doubles didn't count for as much always. But now doubles, they really push it. Right. Um, you so. better be able to play both. And, and the game evolves. And, you know, for a while, it was serving volley. Then it became a baseline fest. And then it became serving volley again. And now I think we're in a really good time of, of tennis where players are manufacturing a point and learning to close in on the net and getting to finish that point off at the net a lot more. And um, learning to volley better, I, I still even my players that train in some of the academies outside of my program, they say, "Well, we we spend like five minutes on volley in a two-hour clinic." I'm like, "That ain't enough." I mean, you're not hitting enough volleys. And oh, I agree. I ask my kids when they go somewhere else once in a while, and I'll say, "Well, how many serves did you? Oh, we didn't do serves today." I'm like, "What? Yeah. We didn't do serves today?" I mean, come on. And I hear that a lot at these clinics. They didn't do serves. They ran for 45 minutes and they hit groundies cross court for an hour, but no serves. And like you say, five minutes of volleys. Right. It's, um, it's and, and even if even if they just the, that concept of spending very little time on it, 
emphasizes to the player, this isn't important. And it, it, that's the wrong message. Um, I think you can see in this picture of, of Lindsay hitting a backhand exactly what you're talking about. Look at the left arm. We call it the umpire move. They're saying safe. Um, in my books, I, I talk about that. But as a right arm goes forward, the left arm goes back. So the integrity of that shoulder line, you see from there. Oops. You see, that's one way to look at it. And I look at it from her backhand, from her left hand to her tip of her racket. Yep. I see it all on a 45 degree angle. Personally. Oh yeah. No, the, the, you, you, you <laughs> nailed it. The 45. And I talked about it in my first book, tennis mastery. I talked about the 45 a ton. Right. Without, and, and so it's so funny that we've connected because I talked about if you turn more than 45, you're over rotating. And if you open up to a 90 degree or facing the net, I should say right. um, you've over rotated forward. So you've got to maintain that 45 through the hitting zone and let the, I always call it, let the racket pull you around. Don't use your body to drag the racket forward because you lose the, uh, the integrity of the racket making contact and you have to actually decelerate the racket when you over rotate or open up. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what I like about that picture too, uh, her racket face, you can see the continental grip. Oh yeah, she's, kind of, oh. she's got that angle, but she's keeping the face flat. I find too many players turn under the backhand, kind of like they do when they hit their slice, and then they get these floaty. These right, floaty right. Slices, we, as opposed we keep to the plane the same. It is a racket open, right. and it stays in the same plane. It doesn't dish. It doesn't dish yeah. under the ball, and it doesn't roll over the ball. We keep the plane the same. And that ensures the quality, um, obviously. But you know, it's so poorly misunderstood. This morning on Instagram, I saw this, I don't want to mention names, but I saw someone teaching and she said to do safe, but she turns the face under. So it's 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 perpendicular to the net as opposed yep. to the way Federer hits his slice where he's like this, per per he's parallel to the net. And he, he just, you know, he sort of slices the ball like that and it's nasty and it's it goes low and it's got a lot of spin as opposed to the slice when you open up like this and it floats and now you're right. a dead man. If you know, if you have a floaty slice backhand or sliced um, a volley like that and you turn under it, you're uh, just going to float the ball and then you're dead the next shot. Here, here I show you this video just to demonstrate. We, we think outside the box a little bit and try to get kids to, in that last segment off the ball machine, the 45 degree angle, you can see it. Achieved. I saw they were, I, that's the first thing I saw. You position those chairs. We, this is a good example of how we train a, a wide variety of, of teaching players to use different body segments. Here's this full swinging top spin from the baseline. Not that we would ever teach a full swinging stroke, from, but it's, it's developing racket head speed. So sure. these are things that effectively teach. And here's, here's a sharp angle learning teaching kids to get the ball up and down on a very, very sharp angle. And these are all beginners. I mean, these are pretty raw. Uh, I mean, you're, you're seeing kids that have been playing for less than, well, some of these kids have been playing for maybe a year, but um, you can see this is a football kid right here. That's learning to volley correctly. Oh, I love the way those, I love the way those chairs are angled, man. I love that. secret. A lot of people will do this drill like you're doing, but they'll put the, the chair uh, facing the side fence and I'm like oh you're killing them yep. it's like it's well, kind of reminds me uh, Dave of when you um, are, you know how you coach the serve and you oh yeah I can serve for my knees and you get on your knee the pro always does it right he faces the 45 and does it then the kid gets down there and he's perpendicular to the net and he can't you know he's flopping on the ground and he can't finish the stroke but the pro doesn't doesn't think and doesn't go oh 
adjust your stand, your knee stance uh, slightly, just slightly open, and then yep. you'll be able to serve like me. They don't do that. They'll just, you know, well, here, you keep practicing. But, but yeah, so I really like the way you have those chairs angled. That was perfect. Well, you know, there's just hundreds and hundreds, and this is when I'll be speaking in Nebraska here in a, in a month or so, and at a coaching conference, uh, actually doing a golf. Uh, I train a lot of world-class golfers, including my daughter, but um, I'm doing a four-hour tennis program and a four-hour golf one. But the similarities in golf and tennis are, are abound. Uh, my daughter's yeah, a great golfer. Um, she full-ride uh, college scholarship, and she would start as a tennis player. And so it's really interesting to see her apply the strokes from her tennis and how to shape a ball's flight because she could shape a ball's flight in tennis, hitting around the outside of the ball to make the ball curve to the right on her backhand or, or hitting around the ball for a slice a serve. That all translated into her uh, having uh, the ability, if you will, of hitting amazing golf swings. And so I really like um, I, I, well, one of the, uh, ideas was that she could take that, that tennis and take it to a world-class level of golf. And so one of the things you'll see in our drills and I'll speak at conferences is you've got to know as you've well-documented what leads to skilled strokes and what prohibits skilled strokes from being acquired and your positioning Grips, we've talked about the continental grip already. We've talked about the 45, which is critical. Even in golf, even though we set up 90 degrees, at point of contact, the body's at 45 degrees. In fact, you can kind of see even in this swing behind me, she's followed her swing, but she's not completely oh, facing. Look, she's, oh, you can see. If you look at her feet, you and, can and see. And look at her hips. You see her hips are still lined up. Look at that. Right. Yeah, and so that's what allows her to hit a 285-yard drive and she's only a, a five foot six little girl. Um, and so one of the things that we always talk about in golf and tennis, I don't know if I have a video of her hitting a golf ball here, but um, it, it's pretty impressive here. here okay. Here's, here's her swing in golf. So if you look at her, her position, her feet are lined up parallel to the target, but look at her belly button facing the back camera. Okay, here come the hips. Here come the hips. And then the hips stop. 45. Exactly. Right and then the club I, I has. I said it better myself. That's right. The hips lock in. And that's right. why everyone mis, mis, misinterprets it. They all go, oh, look at the shoulder rotation. I'm like, yeah. no, it's not. Watch shoulder. the hip. This is where pros yep. don't notice it. And this is true in tennis. The hips rotate back. Full, full throttle turn. That's right. Now they the, come. the kinetic chain legs, hips. Now hips stop, and the club head accelerates. I call and then it the hips follow after the club. I call it retraction. The hips retract back in right at the forty-five, and then the shoulders they come Perfect. flying around. So what does everyone see? And that's why I would tell people it's not what you see; it's what you don't see. What they see is big shoulder rotation, but they don't see that it's been following the hips the whole time until the retraction and then the shoulders come flying around ahead of the hips but they don't see because they're not looking deep enough you know they don't look deep enough into the to see in the hips that that's initiating the move yeah she has a beautiful swing and she illustrates everything so perfectly even for tennis she illustrates it perfectly in this golf swing well and you'll notice again the left arm i i, I translate this to and you could say there's a slight curve there i can i can, I can. <laughs> to maintain it 
But for the most part, we train that leverage of that left arm because that left arm is what generates the club head speed release point. If the elbow bends, we have that big chicken wing. And that's what we associate with beginners in golf and, and tennis is that, that swing like this rather than the full turn. And there's the leverage. Look at the leverage from the left shoulder pulling down there, the hips, then everything stops. The club head accelerates through. And that's where, and her keeping the plane, the club head, the club if you actually drew a line, I don't know if I can do this on this video, but watch. Let's see if I can do this here. <laughs> Everything's backwards. <laughs> That's right. You so, need the mirror button. So I can't. I can't do. See, this. To me, that arm looks. Cur it looks. It looks perfectly curved. Perfectly. Well, I, I, I would argue it's straight, but okay. If you're calling it curve, I'll buy it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I, I'm just going to say we work on keeping it as dead straight as we can. See, because that's straight, where the leverage. When I think of straight, I think of locked. And that's well, it's locked. I mean, we, we train that elbow to be dead straight. If there was a bend, it would start curving around her. And there is a slight right there. Yep. But it's, it's uh, you know, you can look at every top pro golfer and you'll see that same concept. And if, if you want to call it uh, bent slightly or curved. No, no not bent. Not bent. I don't like yep. the word bent. I hate curved. the word bent. Curved. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, I'll, I'll buy that because that's what we that's what we train in an attempt to keep it straight. We know, I guess, the bottom line is we know there's going to be a slight curve, no matter how firm you try to keep that elbow straight. And um, I guess I I look at it from a standpoint we try to maintain um, pretty good integrity of that arm just because I've taught thousands and thousands and thousands of players and I've seen overbent or over curve and then they try to swing from that elbow. So from an right. introductory, we try That's to turn right. that. And then if they have a slight bend, you could argue she had Lindsay here in this picture has a, a slight bend. It's hard to tell from this angle, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a little bend. There's always going to be a little embellishment. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I actually would prefer, honestly, I prefer you to say straight. And even use the word bend because straight is a lot closer to what I'm saying than bent. Uh, right. So, you know, I think I understand why you use straight because it is pretty straight. I guess my only thing is when you lock anything, you lose your natural athleticism when it's locked. But your daughter, she does not. And this girl, you see, that's not it's straight. It's straight, but it's not locked. So maybe we should just change our vocabulary because right. see, her arm is straight, but it's not locked. And when it's well, I, I'll, I'll argue that she keeps it straight through the entire stroke. So what, if you want to call it unlocked, okay, yes. It, as player, here's here's the secret. Here's the secret. If you keep it straight, a player is going to embellish it. Every player is going to embellish it. Okay. And so you're going to have you're going to you're going to have players that have a little bend, a little curve, a little fluctuation. Well, even you, when you show it to me, you're yeah, showing. Right, Oh, I'm, I'm showing a bent elbow right now. When I train a player, there's there's where I'm at. I'm locking that elbow. I'm driving that arm through. And every player is going to embellish that to be a highly skilled backhand volley every single time. Every time. I, I've never had a player not have an extraordinary, and I, I even mean adults, senior adults. I mean... Um, well, certainly, I, I, I agree. I don't. I, I like the lever being from the shoulder. I like the arm being uh, strong. 
you know what I call it? I call it the iron bar. I tell my students, make your arm into an iron bar, not a stone. I use that. I, I use crowbar. Oh, okay. Uh, I use crowbar. And here's why I do it. I always ask them, do you want to use a short crowbar to lift a heavy car? Or would you like a long crowbar? And everybody, of course, oh, I want a long crowbar. I get more leverage. Okay. If you're bending your elbow and swinging from the elbow, your crowbar is only as long as that elbow to the end of your racket. Straighten right. that arm. Now your crowbar is from the shoulder to the end of the racket. And now you have leverage. And that's a proven uh, second uh, or um, uh, first degree lever. Um, and we all know if you look at the formula for force applied by uh, uh, a load uh, multiplied by force, the longer the lever, the more force can be applied. Sure, so leverage. again, using physics and in this picture behind me, we're training that elbow position on up bounces with the continental grip. And you can see in, in all of these, the elbows is as straight as they can make. Now, here's an interesting thing. This kid on the left, that's as straight as hell his elbow can get. That's right. You see, but to me, it looks beautifully like a wing. See, that looks like a wing to me. But you're right. It's straight. It's certainly not bent. We agree on that. It's not right. bent. Right. But and and that's as far as he can do it. If you look at the kid, this is his twin brother in the gray shirt. His elbow is a lot more straighter because his elbow, whatever di difference between the two brothers or twins, they're not identical, obviously. But um, that's the interesting thing is how the elbow shape sometimes doesn't allow some players to get it dead straight. So I agree with you. You may end up with players who have a, a curve and that's as far as they can get it. And that's fine. I love that because who's again, got the, who's got the better volume, the kid on the left or the right? Oh, they're both amazing. They're both state champions. They both they both won, uh, went undefeated. In fact, uh, I thought, ironically, Russ here in the gray shirt uh, was undefeated singles, and Sam was the undefeated doubles player with Hunter, uh, his partner in the, in the in the other shirt there. I see. I see. So they both again because the dynamic stroke was identical, even though one had a slightly more bent elbow because he couldn't straighten it any further. And that was the difference. Um, and that's why I say every player is going to have a slight uh, difference, if you will, in within the advanced foundation. This is why you can look at pros and identify individual characteristics that are different from each player. Um, but yet the foundation, whether it's a two-handed backhand, uh, this is one of my JV players. Oh, look at her back leg. Look at that back leg kick yeah. back. And, and we'll talk more about that later. But I mean, from her to my number one singles player, you see the back leg again. Yeah, uh, you can see the foundation to um, to uh, let's pull up uh, Tia if I've got Tia here. Um, this is Tia just getting ready to hit, but you can see the foundation of the grip, the racket position, beautiful continental grip. Yeah, um, and uh, this is um, if you look at our fast hands drill. So when we're working on that uh, stroke uh, right here. So these are all these are all JV players here working on that repeatable, reliable stroke over and over and developing that muscle memory, even though it's not really muscle memory. Oh, I just think this stuff is great. I wish I wish more coaches would do stuff like this. Well, this is why I mean it's not rocket science. I mean, you if you're going to develop a player that can aim, that can hit a stroke on command over and over and over. These are all JV players, by the way. This is the only varsity player right here. And um, you can see that leg drive, the back leg stand back. This is a yep. JV. This is, this is the, that's number 22. That's number 20. 
four on my ladder. Oh, you got some depth. You got um, some depth. This is actually a varsity player, but she's a she's my lefty. Um, and you can see the rhythm of the stroke, the back toe staying down, the release step after the hit, the break step as we call it. But look at the back leg and the ability to generate racket head speed on, a, on say, a two-handed backhand. And now we're training them in this particular drill to react quickly and still be able to aim, 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 aim. Yeah, aim. I like these these quick if I do if I ever do feeds like this, which in privates I don't do as much, but I will sure. do this particular drill because uh, I also like them feeling the connectiveness of the backswing and the forswing. And if you move quickly like that, then they just keep going like this and they feel how the two sides of the stroke are connected. So right. I do like that. Um, so again, thinking outside the box, uh, we have people kneeling down the backhand, uh, ground stroke, cro forehand cross court, going around the cone split, down the line passing shot. Uh, here is the player working on. Since today's volleys, and you and I, as usual, Dave, even in our conversations, we go all over the place, right? right. I want to <laughs> make sure we hit a few more of these volley drills. Uh, sure, let's, let's have you. Yeah, this one behind me. This one behind me, a lot of players do the quick volleys, but I really like adding this to the quick volleys, which is the lob. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, wow. because too many, uh, I just don't think doing this particular drill only, you get, of course, your hands get quicker and everything gets better. But by adding the lob to it, oh, here's the clacker drill. Do you guys do this one? Yep. You yep. stay you behind this where you catch it. Mm -hmm. You see, and then. And, and talk about receiving. See, that's the word you used before that I like. You can't do, you can't punch the ball and do this drill. No. You, can't, you can't even get close. Oh, here you get to see the, so I like the lob volley, the lob volley in this drill. I add it. Now, sometimes you can't take the overhead. So you got to look like a hot dog like that. But, um, but when we go back to this here in the beginning, I want to make sure we cover at least one or two things. And one was the idea of adding the lob volley in that quick, you know, everyone does quick volley not just yep. you and me, but add, add the lob volley to that drill. Absolutely. And then we talked about this last week, the lacrosse drill where you catch the ball. Yep. And then the other one is bump up and across, what you call right. it mini me, mini me, I think. Mini me, yeah. And, um, and, then, and then I wanted to show one quick volley here real quickly to show how easy and how you can make the volley into almost a rally drill by adding... Um, the lob to the quick volley. That's really the only thing I wanted to show the pros. Right. Because that's what we're here for, right? I mean, I know we have a good time hanging out, and uh, but uh, we got to show these guys as much as we can. So there's a lacrosse drill. There's just, you know, just get the feel. But receiving is the word of the day because there that's really what it is. I, I, I say receiving or reflecting, which infers a, a solid racket versus a hit, a swinging racket. But both those are so good um, about developing hand, learning to let the racket do more of the work. Um, yes, exactly. So Look, you got string tension of 50, 60 pounds. I mean, and then there's tension in the air pressure of the ball. Let those yep. two things work for you. There's the lob. Right. He hits it at me, but yep. he doesn't hit it as hard as he can. He just right. has a nice three quarter speed. Yep. I keep it in play. And then, you know, and that's, that's a really beautiful way to, to, like I said, it's almost like a rally from the baseline. I think that's why so many kids like to stay on the baseline. You get long rallies and at net, they think, oh no, it's quick. And, but, but really you should treat the volley drills like this one, 
you should have as long a rally, including the lob and overhead, as you do uh, in the baseline. Yeah, you know, but I we, think- Well, let me add to what you got there because our, our start of our practice, like yesterday we had our, our Super Saturday, and um, they have to hit back in the back in volleys a hundred in a row. I love it. I love now, it. When I was in college, we had to hit three hundred in a row or start over. You want to know what pressure was? Two ninety five, two ninety six, and having to start over if you miss. And even at, for a lot of kids, a hundred in a row is a lot. And yet, it's a lot. They start. When you, one of the things I've seen with volleys, especially, is when you add a vor- verbal counting. Players are much more focused on making the shot because there's a connectivity between verbalizing one, two, three. You know, I find that true even when I'm hitting. Like when I haven't played in a week or so and I decide to go hit with one of my buddies who's a very good player, you know, like a 12 UTR. And I'm mm. like, oh, boy, you know, I don't want to suck today or else this guy's not going to want to hit with me again. But And I do that right away. I go, okay, start counting. And I don't even count his. I just count mine. And right. I find that if I count, it does make, psychologically, I guess, but it makes you focus more. And it's, it's really great. I think it's, it's, it's... Well, anything in the volley realm that allows a player to control the ball on intent, um, meaning the volley lob, the angle volley, the catching, the mini-me or, or up, up, up across. Um, we do a drill. It's a badminton drill. Um, I was a national badminton player back when I was very I know. young. That's great. And we did a drill called drop, drop, clear, clear in badminton, where you hit a drop shot, they hit a drop shot, you hit a clear, they hit a clear, you hit a drop shot off their clear, they hit a drop shot, and you keep that rhythm of drop, drop, clear, clear. And I found that really has application to tennis to develop the hand and the racket orientation to to slow a ball down, drop it, again, working on a vertical drop versus a horizontal volley drive, which everyone does on a daily basis. They don't learn drop volleys. They don't learn angle volleys when they're just driving the ball straight. So there's another drill. You ought to try that. And I'd love for you to film it, but just it's exactly what it sounds like. Drop, drop. And I do mean a very close to the net drop and then a bump up lob, just barely to the service line. We're not talking about an offensive lob, just a, a lob over their head. That person has to run back and volley that for a lob. And then that person that takes that lob and drops shots from wherever. Would you, say, would you say that's similar to uh, Dinkum in a way? I don't know Dinkum to describe oh, it. Oh, yeah, you do. It's the one where you start at the net, you hit the net, and the ball drops over. And you have oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it Dinkum. Where you rally the ball. You, 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 yeah, like a little very close mini tennis. Yeah, super, super close mini tennis. But right. you the lob. Yeah, to me that sounds, and I like those finesse drills. I do too. Because yeah. you have to you have to move quickly, but be very um, gentle. <laughs> when you hit, you have to be thoughtful, right? Exactly. And and kids don't when they are taught to swing fully at balls, they never develop. Well, I should say never. They don't develop as quickly um, the hand-eye coordination and the touch that is associated with being able to react quickly to a ball that you should hit. If I've got two girls on the baseline and I'm at the net volley, why would I want to hit a deep volley? I mean, that's, you know, the the epitome. Unless unless you're practicing with them. Right. I I mean, in a match, in a game situation, I want to hit an angle volley for a winner. I don't want to hit it 
a deep ball to the person that's deep. I mean, if I want to win the point, um, I mean, there are some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, the, the player at the net, if they know how to hit angle volleys, drive, and one thing we, we teach a lot of is at the net, we train our players to drill that high volley through the net man's kneecap. And if you hit the, their kneecap, we, we tell our players, never say you're sorry. Say, are you okay? Right. But you never say you're sorry because that was the shot you wanted to hit. I love and it. We never want to apologize for the shot we're trying to hit. You can always say, hey, are you okay? You all right? Cool. And a good here's the interesting thing. When a good net player is hit by a volley, usually they say, no, that was a great shot. The crappy net player who gets hit, who says, why did you hit me? What, right. what are you doing? They're the ones that suck at the net anyway or, or very inexperienced. So we, we found that good players, they know that that's part of the game. I was always taught to volley at the guy's right hip. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be more specific, yeah, yeah. get them on the inside of their where the yeah, back yeah. hip volley is harder and they certainly can't get that forehand. No, they can't get the forehand, but oh. they certainly can the backhand. Yeah. Well, you know, Dave, as, as usual, um, two long-winded pros like us uh, – we, we didn't even touch the serve today. Yeah, we'll do that so next time. I'm yeah, let's, gonna, let's, what I'm going to do is I'm going to retitle this this episode and call it Volleys. <laughs> that's it, you know, because it's not serves and volleys anymore, but that's okay. I think we'll probably have enough to talk about when it comes to the serve. I'm just guessing we'll have enough to talk about. I think we'll have plenty, plenty to talk about for uh, sure. So, but, well, uh, let's uh, right, let's uh Call, call this uh, a, a good day of, of uh, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll tease with some serving here and getting learned how to hit a kick serve correctly, learn how to get generate speed, how to, how to do all the things that are associated with good <laughs> serving and uh, especially a great second serve. So and also, great. and also warming up the serve uh, yep. and also warming up the serve. Uh, yeah. We'll just give a little teaser to the next show. I put mine on too. Awesome. Well, we'll do hey. it next time. And uh, great, great uh, segment for us. So this was yeah, it's a lot of fun. Dave, as always, it's such a pleasure. And uh, we'll do it again real soon. And, uh, and look forward uh, to it. I hope the pros are enjoying themselves as much as we are. Let's put it that way. There you go. Hope you're okay. bringing you some information. You got it. Take See care. You next time. All right. <laughs>